Welcome back, friends, fellow philosophers, and authors to this Wild Isle writing cast. I have with me Matt Dawson. How are you, Matt? Doing pretty good. How are you? Uh, as good as I can do this late in the evening. Uh, we were just talking before we started here. I might not be as ultra quick uh, as I, you know, I don't, I'm never ultra quick, as less sluggish, sluggishly slow as I usually am, but uh, we'll make the best of it. Um, and today we're going to be talking about writing across various mediums. If you did not know, which uh, many of you may not, uh, Matt has a lot of experience writing for games. Is that right, Matt? That's accurate. Um... I uh, actually write the scripts for my games, and I also develop them. So I kind of have multiple perspectives on that. Look at this, a multifaceted man, a, a type of modern-day Renaissance man writing across fiction and uh, game script writing and developing. Do you do the uh, artwork as well, like the sprite art? I think I've seen sprite art images, things like that. Yeah, I do pretty much everything. So I do the, the pixel art. Uh, I've dabbled in 3D a little bit, but... I don't know if it's my my forte, uh, and I also make uh, the music for it, which I haven't really posted a lot of yet. I'm still kind of getting used to, but yeah. So you make the music as well. So you didn't even mention that. That's actually really really impressive. At least I think that's amazing. Uh, we'll get into it as we get in. But before we start, uh, I want to do a bit of shilling. First off, uh, for those of you listening, if you want to participate in this. Uh, podcast or series of podcasts called The Writing Cast, you can. Um, if you can get into co contact with me, if I know of you in some way, shape, or form, you're not some just random stranger, uh, I am fully willing to welcome you on. I'd love to have a conversation. I'm going to list through a few topics that are still left. They're dropping like flies. I have gotten way, way more uh, participation than I could have ever hoped for. So if you're interested, you should contact me some way, shape, how quickly. So what we have left uh, in terms of topics, we have delving into the depths, theme as thesis, symbols and meta narratives versus motifs. So it's a conversation about theme. We have the author spake upon the face of the waters, uh, discussing setting as world building, backdrop and character, because I always wanted to really discuss that because I never really got the setting as character all the way. Uh, narrative voice, potence or pretense, uh, questions like what is style or narrative voice and is quality prose objectively so? We have regression to the mean, the rules of writing, bell curves, and Pareto distributions. Really what that conversation is about is when the rules apply and when they don't, when they'll help you and when they'll make you worse. We have art versus escapism, narratives as nourishment or decadence, exactly what that sounds like. Uh, we have when is the weave always wrong? This will be kind of related to today's conversation, discussing narrative devices present or absent in anime and manga, which harm the new author's stories. Uh, because while I do believe there are some things that are helpful, uh, like any medium, there are also some things that do not cross apply. And we might touch on a little bit of that here and there with our conversation. We have the nature of villainy, what makes a villain and why do people choose evil and uh, new to the list we have reader rights versus justified writing when is the author or reader in the wrong uh this conversation i hope to have about when readers make mistakes in reading uh which might be a bit of a controversial topic i think a lot of people assume well if i didn't get it then your writing was just bad though i will say i've had and seen people 
claim that a thing wasn't in a paragraph and then have it be pointed out like, look, it's it's right here. Here's the sentence. You just didn't read it because you were skimming. Anyway, that's a personal bugbear of mine. Uh, also, before we begin, I'm going to shill my site where you can listen to the other podcasts in this series, wildislelit.com uh, slash podcast will get you there. Uh, if you're also looking for some fiction, uh, I have a novel out, Wan Smoke Broken, a kind of weird, uh, let's say, weird fantasy fiction with an American twist, uh, as Brad described in our uh, first podcast. Uh, it reads a little bit like a cross between fantasy, Western, and a literary novel, uh, if that makes any sense. Also, last on the list to shill is my editing service, the Wild Isle Style Guide, uh, where I focus on editing your manuscript according to stylistic goals, uh, particularly in reference to you know, far flung and forgotten works. Uh, I like reading a lot of books from the old pulp era and the, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s after, uh, but also the classics and then uh, mixing that in with a little bit of uh, contemporary work. If you could benefit from upping your style game, then go to my website, wildoutlit.com slash editing and see if some of my editing services are right for you. Uh, all right. I think that's all for me. Matt, do you have anything you want to throw out there? Yeah, but if you want to uh, kind of follow some of my game dev and uh, and uh, novel work, you can catch me on Twitter at Forgotten ADV. All right, thank you, Matt. Okay, so now we can actually get into today's conversation: spirit channeling and uh, storytelling across various mediums. Uh, just to to start out, so. Uh, You've mentioned that you've done uh, script writing for games, and I know that you've taken your hand at writing uh, at least one novel. So give me your whole uh, spectrum of experience with uh, writing across all the different mediums that you've participated in. Sure. So most of it will be amateur. I, I don't think there's there's much in, in uh, my way of publishing yet. Um, but so I, I started out kind of just writing um, novels based off of D&D campaigns um, that I had created. And that's kind of where the world that, uh, that I, I've been writing for uh, stems from. So I've actually done a number of, of different, at least text-only formats there. So, you know, I've done short stories, I've done novelettes, uh, and I've, I've written a couple of novels, um, most of which haven't seen the, the light of day yet. I have to level up my editing skills. Um, there but the you know i've i've kind of had an interest in a number of different uh, formats so I, I played around with comics and writing a comic uh script um and then uh, not really recently but I've, I've always had an interest in making games actually even before i started writing seriously um so just kind of coming up with little stories building text adventures which is you know effectively interactive fiction uh, in digital format. Uh, coming out from there, I, I kind of look at writing a short story and writing a game effectively the same thing. So even like a like a medium like television or movies are kind of in the same vein as a game script for the most part. I mean, games are a little bit more interactive for sure, but the ultimately the the message that comes across is is fairly short. So I'd say I haven't written a movie script, but I've seen plenty of movie scripts and, and just out of interest. Um, and they're pretty much the same thing. Like I would say that's that's a pretty well, they're all pretty analogous across the board there. 
Christ, man, there's so many things I want to I want to jump in. I'll see if I can keep it in order. I, I probably won't be able to. I want to start from the beginning of what you said, which is that you started out with your writing experience with Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, would yes. you believe? Yeah, would you believe that uh, I have the same origins? I bet plenty of you listeners also uh, also do. Uh, was if I remember right, so it went from D and D to uh, like yeah, trying to write short stories. Do I, do I remember that right? Yes. Yeah, so uh, at least my my text oriented. I guess that's a I don't even know. It's a good way to put it. Um, journey kind of went from D and D to like short stories and and slightly longer texts for sure. Yes. So uh, the, the question that comes in is, uh, what was the both the motivation to go from merely, I don't want to say merely like uh, putting it down, but from merely writing, you'd say, I don't know, deity adventures or settings, or uh, there's many different, you know, spots of writing you could do. Like, I know I, I even wrote uh, a whole rule system before I tried to, to write my first novel, which was a disaster. But what was the motivation and what was the um, experience of moving from the tabletop role-playing writing to your you know first iterations of uh shorter fiction yeah so i i think it's well the impetuous was that um a lot of the feedback i got from my campaigns was like wow this is a really elaborate world you know you've you've got to you've got to write something about it write a novel write something i heard a lot of feedback from that um and that kind of lit a fire under me to just kind of move forward and try and put something down in a more linear fashion. So uh, I'd always been, when I was real young, I was always a, a fan of like the Forgotten um, Realms. So um, basically, I, I was really excited about uh, some of the lore that came out of the novels like Drizzt and things of that nature. Um, I was super familiar with like the geography and the history and all that stuff. Um, but it felt like the more that I customized uh, these campaigns that I played, in my earlier days, uh, it felt more foreign. Like I just didn't really match. I didn't really match up with the setting for some reason. I, I couldn't really put my finger on it, but the things I made felt like they were really standing out against um, everything that had been created for the setting otherwise. So like, I just kind of decided to close the book on that and said, I'll take a stab at building my own, you know, build my own world, figure out something, uh, build my own history. And, you know, for the most part, I'll, I'll understand it just as well. Cause I'll have made it. Um, so I started now, doing that and I, uh, and I, uh, kind of focused on more, um, more of my DM style. So the, the world and the DM style kind of is, uh, one-to-one -one in, in effect because, uh, at least in D and D, there's kind of I would say like three main categories of DMs. There's like the player versus player, where like the DM versus the actual players. Like the DM is out to destroy all the all the PCs. Um, there's the uh, there's the kind of rules the rules monger. Like you could do anything you want, but you're gonna follow my story, and you kind of get railroaded along this narrative. Um, but the third one, which is kind of where I think I lie, is the collaborative storyteller. So, like, focusing in on, on that, like, what's a collaborative storyteller? Like, the rules are kind of a little bit a little bit mushy, right? As long as it fits the narrative that ev like everybody's telling and everybody's kind of on the same page, it works. 
And um, that's kind of where the setting um, kind of emerged from the nebula on that one. So many questions. So the one that's at the tip of my tongue now, uh, I'm curious if you had a similar experience. So uh, when I shifted from writing for tabletop games to actually trying my hand at fiction, one of my motivations, um, because I also wanted to have a kind of collaborative storytelling, was not being able to tell the story quite as well as I wanted to uh, with the, in my case, uh, sorry, friends, but the players that I had, uh, were not always facilitative of, uh, of narrative. They, they were, a, a, you know, a motley crew. They all had different interests in the game. Some people liked it as a kind of tactical, uh, combat simulator. Uh, some were more interested in the stories. Uh, others, uh, were more of a completionist nature. And so they weren't very, uh, let's say, collaborative they would they would want to be railroaded if you will so i had people all along that spectrum that you just described so for your experience um were your players uh, cooperative with you um or were they not so much and did that push you toward uh you know other than the encouragement you mentioned before push you toward uh, the the short stories um well as far as the players i i, I Wow, I'm trying to recount how many people. Let's just say there's dozens, uh, dozens of campaigns I've gone through with various unique uh, people that had come through, uh, especially my college years. Um, I would say I've seen all kind of walks of life like that, and I tend to have a style that would lean more towards what the group is is uh, wanting. Right? There's kind of a, there's kind of the group that has a collaborative there's a party right I, I guess in so many words there's the party that exists and they're kind of one spirit so to speak and there's going to be regardless of any one individual within the party um there's going to be a specific uh drive towards a uh, towards a style and uh with that i kind of read the room so i i'm my strength as a dm is improv I can jot, jot notes down. I could kind of come up with specific scenarios on the fly. And I kind of know where I want to go and sort of like understand where we are. Um, but if there's a, a gigantic loop-de-loop -loop and there's a barrel roll and maybe they go all the way around the wrong way and come all the way down and around and boom, they land kind of near where they need to be. Perfect. Everybody had fun, and it was a really interesting story because nobody was sitting there going, when do we get there? Um, sort of thing. So sometimes, at least in my style, you have to take the reins and tell part of the story. Like, there's going to be gaps, and everyone's like, where do we go? What do we do? There's going to be an NPC that walks up and is like, clearly you have to do this. And if they decide to kill them instead of actually listening to the NPC, um, you just kind of pick it up from there and... Oh no! You've you've killed someone of importance or something. Now uh, this is the question I was say, I was going to ask earlier. I'm, I'm glad I got a chance to ask it. So, did this uh, skill with improvisation? Did that uh, that to me sounds like there's the uh, you know the creativity, the imagination that kind of uh, is both able to put itself forth and wants to put itself forth that led to a deviation from. Uh, the source material um, in terms of, I know you mentioned the the novels around the uh, Forgotten Realm setting amongst others. Uh, so uh, what, what is my question? 
my question is, did, uh, did that, let's say, that will to deviation uh, push you, not will to deviation, I guess imagination is a better word, push you to deviate? And then did you have other source materials that were also, um, let's say, influencing you to move away from the standard material or, or the things that you saw provided? I would say that would that would looking back it would be one of the components of it um like i said before i was really into just kind of the lore the world so i can make up kind of something um as far as like the pre-configured settings uh, of forgotten realms but uh, i think ultimately I, I kind of started compiling throughout my career kind of i kind of started compiling a, a bunch of these stories that we had done and there would be kind of these in memes of uh, a lot of the people who would come back to play repeatedly like a lot of my friends and and acquaintances would come back to to you know start a new campaign hey you're starting all right sweet um and there there was always kind of like the in jokes and the memes and things of that nature before they were memes like in the more uh, academic sense meme that yeah. um that i kind of started to see this world forming regardless so like i have this big folder is this big <laughs> ratty manila folder full of just the stories i had written the notes i had written and even if, like i once in a while i would spread them out and just kind of reread them just because they were fun memories and i'd be like oh this is this could be related to this and that could be related to that and suddenly you have the framework for uh, a whole new world and that's you know like you look at it and it's it's just kind of out of place for the setting but then there's this whole new setting that was kind of organically created and it feels natural in its own isolation did any of those settings make uh make it all the way to your shorter fiction or perhaps your novels as we, we progress the conversation that way so let's talk about that like Anything did anything carry over into the short stories and or the novels and what was the progression like going from shorter to longer form fiction? Sure. So I would say you actually have read about one or two of the characters that have carried over. Like there's a there's a number of characters that I have that actually have survived a lot of things. Um and there's been a, a whole number of reckonings where I would, you know, cut out specific stuff. Um, everything that exists in my fiction is the stuff that I've made. Like I've made an NPC for a specific reason. I like that NPC so much. I fleshed them out. I fleshed them out and I really began to kind of love where that, what they're about and their growth or their inevitable, uh, fall from grace, depending on what context we're talking about. Um, and so I would, I would just kind of plant that seed and let it naturally grow. So like, as I, uh, there's a lot of work I haven't published, but it's still valuable work. So when we move into like the short story realm, for instance, um, in the very beginning, like that's that's kind of what I view the early days as like the first era. There was always this kind of origin story that I had. Uh, and there's a natural problem with having an origin story in my setting, but I'll get to that in a moment. Um, there was this... Uh, origin story so to speak where everything begins like this is the event that starts everything it's a spark um inherently that 
is kind of the origin story for everything now because it's not because I, I'm like, oh, that was an amazing story I wrote. No, I, I hate that story. I go back to it and I realize how bad of a writer I used to be. And I still am today. Um, but I like the I like the idea and the origin, like the the premise of it is so simple. It's easy to move away from bad execution into a better execution. Um just by re like by analyzing the core components and bringing it into a new context. See, that's really interesting because what you've just essentially drawn a line through there is the fact that there can be um, an idea or a notion, even a story. What I would call the uh, dual. It's not only the content co uh, component, but I, I like to differentiate between content and composition, uh, and some of the content perhaps was a little bit rough especially if this was something you know in your early days i mean hell uh anyone out there by the way if you're just starting out and you feel like you suck two things you probably do but so does everybody else at that stage for like usually a really long time so don't feel bad um but yeah so you've outlined there is a a difference between the idea of an event in your case it sounds like you've got like um almost like a, not necessarily literally a civilization starter, but like a story that, let's say, really brings the narrative into being. And then, or not narrative, I should say the setting in, in large scope by setting, like the setting with a certain cast of characters, with certain cultures in a world that then you've, let's say, taken the, the, the vague notions of from the original story and from that begun to, to build, um, let's say, across uh what it sounds like across mediums um so let's see if i can get the memory right so you you moved into you've got a bunch of uh short fiction and you've got some you know, whole novels that you've written that are unpublished um and was it comics that you moved into next is that right so somewhere between short stories and jumping into novels i wanted to try my hand at, at you know kind of doing the whole enterprise of, of drawing comics this was way back when um let's just say 15 20 years ago maybe um that i i decided i kind of wanted to start to learn how to draw i wanted to to write these comics i had these ideas i was really big into uh comics and manga and all this stuff so like it was really influential at the time um and i, I got a little bit discouraged only because i could definitely see when you're in a visual medium it's very hard to take like what you're producing and compare it to other other works and there was a definite huge disparity and that was pretty discouraging for me it's it's a bad it's a bad thing to 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 have though like um one of the best pieces of advice i'd ever got at least in, uh, for as far as visual medium it's probably true for everything is that your eye is always going to be more talented than your hand you'll always be able to see better than you'll be able to create um, so if there's any one piece of advice I could, I could, uh, kind of send out to the world is, you know, it's always going to look worse than it really is effectively because you, your taste is more refined than the ability than the, what you can make, which makes sense. You can't make something better than your own tastes. Yeah. I think especially if you go from something like written to visual, uh, in truth, Essentially, all of the art forms have a 
astronomical learning curve. Um, but there's something deceptive about writing because we all like learn to to write in school. And so the level of entry for writing is really, really low. And then the learning curve for good writing is like really, really, really high. But it's kind of hard to tell where you are until the, you put yourself immediately against somebody else, which hardly happens because, you know, uh, unless you go and grab your favorite novel off the shelf, put it like literally next to your work and read back and forth. Your mind doesn't really compare. But when it's visual, it the the stark <laughs> the stark <laughs> contrast between uh you know one's own work and one's other that's got to be cripplingly demoralizing so uh i like what you said there the eye is uh was it the eye is more refined than the hand is that right yeah it'll it'll always be more refined than the hand Absolutely. how much progression did uh how much progression did you get with um your your drawing ability because i imagine that had to have been like a, a huge endeavor like it's it's just really difficult to draw at all yeah, it's actually something I've been refining um, over over the course of my life. Basically, most of my uh, family on my mom's side is, are artists. Of, you know, like they do it for professionally. Um, and uh, you know, like I, I was kind of a black sheep. I I was really more into like math and science, and um, like that was just what I was good at at school. Like I would come home with, like, sweet, I've got A's and B's, um, in in all of these hard, you know hard uh science and mathematics and then they come home with like the art and they'd be like what is this come on you could do better than that and it's like eh. um so it, it's it's just kind of a focus of mine where i i i understand how high like how high that bar is because i've always seen um you know I, i've always had people around me who have excelled at it and i kind of fall short for one reason or another but something i've always pursued now with their time because you mentioned this is kind of between the short stories and the novels is and and probably ongoing like you mentioned you're, you're developing uh or not developing in it's a becoming more engaged with visual mediums uh by what i want to ask is in relation to uh, what I call the considerations across mediums, and we're probably going to come back and touch on these, but it's a good time to to bring them up. Uh, so, in uh, for those who don't know who are listening, uh, the term imagery, um, academically speaking, they could have come up with a better word. The academics usually fuck things up, uh, but this is the word they use, so we're going to use it. it. Refers to actually all sensory considerations or sensory stimuli that you could evoke or. Uh, you know, trigger within the reader. So it's like visual, auditory, olfactory. So that's smell, taste, tactile. So that's touch. Um, and there's other internal things we could talk about as well in terms of feelings and emotions. Uh, but across that spectrum of sensory detail, um, did you notice, or I should say, what did you notice, you know, trying your hand with uh, comics as a visual medium, moving between uh, written mediums, if at all, because you might have just been overwhelmed by the process of learning and practicing drawing itself, which would have been a mountain momentous endeavor. For sure. Um, it, it was actually, <laughs> so I kind of have a process where I just kind of throw myself at, uh, into whatever I'm trying to learn and, and just kind of live as that, um, you know, vocation, so to speak. Um, and I got really big into like Will Eisner, um, 
literature, like you know, writing sequential com uh, sequential art is the type is pivotal work, um, I would say. And so, sequential comics are effect effectively sequential art. Um, and so, there's kind of two buckets there. I would say that writing short stories is a critical component if you want to write comics. And this is coming from amateur. I just want to preface this. This is just a lot of assumption. But if we're looking at like kind of the greats, and you know that's subjective, clearly, um, there is clearly a a a knack for short stories in a lot of these uh, works. So, you know, my some of my favorite, uh, let's just say manga. It's long running. Um, at the time when I was doing this, uh, Claymore was being published in the United States. So I'm gonna date myself on that one, but. Uh, yeah, Claymore is effectively in one line uh, a story about a secret league of uh, women who take in demon blood in order to hunt demons. And um, it's a story about one specific hunter who isn't entirely half demon. She's a quarter demon, um, but that gives her different powers. And it just kind of goes into this like that like they're they're these huntresses and it, it goes much deeper and it's kind of a medieval setting it was very cool at the time um so the there's kind of like two two buckets for at least comics it's the visual aspect like if you're going to be drawing people you have to kind of understand mannerisms and anatomy and you know like communicate how do you make a fictional character communicate non-verbally? How do you make them communicate verbally? Um, there's other different components, like how do you assemble the series of these communications into a realistic, um, uh, I repeat myself, sequence? I'll just repeat myself, sequence. How do you communicate a series of these non-verbal and verbal cues into a sequence of meaningful uh fiction and that's really what a comic is on the art side is just you know when do they say something when do they do something how do they do it like if you're t if they're being timid if they're being aggressive if they're being um as a writer you, you have words like you could describe it you can show not tell which is really just tell in a different way um you know tell in a different way or tell but um with visual art there's a lot more to convey because there's a lot more nuance to at least the human form um and even if you're drawing animals if you're drawing uh even just nature right drawing animals they're going to be there's clearly a way to draw an aggressive dog or a scared dog or happy dog um you know pick your other mammals or fish or really anything else in the world you have to have that sort of visual library in your head in order to convey that uh, and the same for trees right if you want to draw a tree you can draw a really healthy tree it's got a lot of big branches and leaves uh, or it's a dead tree like the branches are broken and, and it's dangling and you know hung over almost about touching the ground from the top you know what i mean so there's that visual library that also has to exist uh, to the artist but then there's also the writing Right, you can have a fantastic visual, 
uh, uh, library that you can draw upon and maybe build fantastic portraits, uh, create fantastic portraits, uh, fantastic landscapes um, that tell the story without words. You can definitely do that. There's there's tons of artists right now who are um, that are actually killing it. Just you know, posting on social media these portraits, these landscapes, uh, concept art, uh, things of that nature. But if we're talking about sequential art, um, there's also the writing. There has to be some sort of uh, you know script in order to tell these stories. So that's where kind of the short story comes in. In long running, uh, long running comics, we'll just say comics for now do have arcs, right? That's, that's kind of a, I don't want to say it's a trope, it's actually just a feature of uh, of the comic book itself. Like, if you have a series of comic books, there's going to have at least one arc. If it's a long-running comic, there's probably going to be multiple arcs. Um, and then I would say each of those arcs are probably a short story, maybe a novelette or a novella, if they're, depending on who's making them. Um, on average, it's probably a, a short story, I would say. Yeah, so we're seeing the uh, the inevitability of, let's say, just individual plot arcs, essentially. Because when we say arc, really what we're, we're short for is plot arc. And um, if you happen to catch the podcast that we should release before, a week before this one, we talk all about plot arcs and Freytag's triangle. But really, uh, in any story structure, you have one of these, and oftentimes you have a bunch of them. So there's no wonder in a visual medium, you're going to have probably more than more than one, uh, because when you've got, you know, when you're, I don't want to use the word compressing, but when you're storytelling through images and you're taking all of those details that normally have to be presented um, through, let's say, written description, let's say, for writing a short story, you. You run into, when you're writing it, I should say this, when you're writing it in a short story, you have to do things, well, like you mentioned before, in a different context sequentially, right? Like, I have to decide when I'm going to describe what and what's going to go in the dialogue and what I'm going to exposit and um, precisely what am I going to order when and, you know, there's lots of considerations, but you can't do it all at once. Whereas if i am let's say if i if i had the ability to do a comic i am showing the expression having the gesture happen also they might be doing something while they're having that gesture with a particular facial expression or bodily uh expression of emotion um and then you've got multiple characters potentially in a single panel so you've got you know a multitude you know what might take a couple pages in a short story uh, you could actually potentially show in a panel or two. Um, and that is going to essentially bring plot arcs to a close much more efficiently uh, because I think it was Ezra Pound, some quote I saw in one of my textbooks when I was teaching um, literature, talked about how when you're dealing with images, now he was talking about with poetry, but this in case, literal images, you have this ability to transcend time and that you aren't limited by the sequential nature of writing. Uh, and that's what lends to that necessity of plot arcs, which gives a relationship to, uh, let's say, visual mediums like comics and 
short stories. Does that, does that sound, all sound correct? I kind of uh, might have been talking beyond myself there. That sounds pretty accurate. One thing I would I would point out is just an interesting feature is that in let's just say text in general, you know, novel or short story, what have you, um, the inverse is true for comic. Like the, there's kind of an inverse relationship. Um, dialogue is extremely easy in a novel. Let's just say, um, you know, you could go on for pages and pages about this conversation uh, regarding whatever, and there's no problem there. Like it it actually kind of speeds along the pacing a little bit um, in a comic it's the inverse um, a lot of text is quite difficult because you only have so much space on a on a cell um, and for every cell you know for every line of dialogue you have this back and forth with um, you're going to have to draw a new frame and there's always shortcuts and things of that nature but there adds kind of an exponential um a component to having a discussion versus action, whereas the inverse is true for, uh, you know, writing a novel where you're going to, you can talk for pages and pages, no problem, uh, but action will feel slow unless you're very careful with your words and you understand the pacing and where to describe things and where not to describe things um, in order to give the reader a clear picture of what's occurring. So there's an, in, there's an interesting, I guess maybe it's not inverse, but some uh, asymmetry between those two. Yeah. So that, that relates to something I wanted to ask earlier. I'm going to say that quite a lot. So both you mentioned having to consider lots of, um, let's say nonverbal communication expression by the characters, et cetera. That's all contained visually. And then you just mentioned the dialogue needing to be, concise in such a way that it can fit within the panels but still communicate everything that you wanted to communicate. Did you find that uh, working within both of those restraints where you have to think about those things because the medium is visual, uh, that it improved your ability to write those when you went back to uh, a purely text medium? It I don't know if it would really improve it. I definitely bits and pieces of it stuck with me, and I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Um, at least in my writing, I find that I'm I'm overly short, and sometimes I omit things that shouldn't be. Um, and I find kind of my drafts are frail, which means I probably missed a, you know some description or there was some meaningful action that was uh, understated in some way, shape, or form. And that might be because I I experimented with that. Um, before I really dove headfirst into into writing novels, um, so there there could definitely be a correlation there. That's really interesting because what that suggests is that um, you know, however this is being processed in the mind or the brain or the you know however the creative process is working, um, the let's say the abilities might both be there, but it's difficult to cross cross apply them for some reason why do you think that might be so i i think i'm pretty much a, a visual person in general so when i think about a scene um, and i've gotten this feedback a lot and it's something i i try and wrap myself on the knuckles when i when i think about a scene i kind of think about the placement of how how things are the mechanics before i i think about the relationships between characters occurring so for instance you know i got i got some good feedback on one of my manuscripts where 
the intro felt like it was kind of an opening uh like an opening movie shot where you know the it was big sprawling out wide out into uh this place where it could have probably been more better more better Oof. Uh, probably been better inters- uh, interspersed between some action things of that nature. So, um, you know, at least at least in my first drafts, it does slip in where like I think about the imagery and I think about the wares. Um, you know, even going back, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the feedback I've, I received that was most impactful when I started writing, um, and that was uh, that was still true. Like uh, the the most meaningful feedback I got, and this is going to be. A hundred percent, like oh, clearly this is why. But um, I had this basically this origin story, which is a little bit longer than the short story I spoke about earlier. Uh, and the feedback I got was, uh, it the setting feels great. It feels like I can um, explore this as a D and D character, but it's not meaningful to uh, the pacing of the story. You know, that's a that's a good segue into talking about writing for games because the interactive component, uh, I think, mm-hmm. is the hinge there, right? Like there's something that the interaction between um, the player and the game fills that it you can't leave empty when it comes to, um, let's say, a, a written inter- non-interactive narrative. Um, so uh, we'll hold on to that question because I'm curious. I am curious what, uh, or you can answer it right away. It doesn't matter, but uh, I'm curious what that is, what it is that the interactivity fills that is normally there um, in, let's say, just you know, a written work or even perhaps in a, in a comic, right, or, or in a film. I imagine that interactive component, it needs to be filled in, in other visual mediums like film as well. Uh, so we've got that to consider. What is that? What is that interactivity and how does it, you know, what do you need to put there when the medium isn't interactive? Uh, and then more generally, we can talk about your shift into script writing for games and all the other, you know, tasks, the the, the momentous tasks of uh, doing the art and the sound and everything else that comes with uh, game design. Sure. So I think the main difference between, let's just say video games and previous mediums, so previous mediums includes movies, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, um, is that the uh, the player has to have a problem to solve, so you have to have a problem solving component in in the art in order to for it to really be a video game. Um, there are things like visual novels, which is uh, by my definition not really a game. And I'm sorry to anyone who makes visual novels; that's not true. But by my definition, if there's no problem solving, um, it's not really a game. So what does that mean in terms of like character development? It means that the the player is invested um, in the character because the character is a part of themselves. So if we look at a comic, um, the the reader can get invested in it because they've been a part of the journey, right? They've seen the growth, they've seen the change, they've seen the wins and the losses. Um, and effectively i would say it's because you're on the same team as the hero right you're part of the the hero's team you've been there you were there for everything sweet um when uh, when i'm thinking about something like 
playing a game, and I, I specifically make RPGs for the most part. So that that's when what I'm thinking about, like old school JRPGs on the Super Nintendo. If um, if you're familiar with that, um, you are the player. Effect. I mean, you are the character effectively because without the player, there is no character. The the story would not happen without somebody sitting there and actually executing uh, that series of events. Um, some uh, recently, there's been a big push for like open-ended worlds where the story is kind of yours to tell. Um, and we could kind of jump into that later if you'd like. But I'm just talking about sequential games where there is a predefined series of events that occurred, um, and there are potential gatekeeps between them so some example of a gatekeep would be uh levels so you can't you would have to get stronger your character would have to get stronger in order to get to that next event um and that might involve defeating a boss uh or collecting items which might be behind scary monsters um those are some examples like some early uh early video game rpg sort of um examples of problem solving uh you know with the advent of 3d and more the ability to simulate physics there's things like um it's not an rpg but something like portal where it's it's physical like you have the ability to make portals which can transport you from a to b and back um through this effect of rift in reality uh that's still problem solving it's just not you know an rpg yeah, so from what you've said there, what it sounds like is the player brings to the table something that isn't present in these other uh, mediums, and that in particular is motivation. And that, that motivation is part of the design structure of the game. Uh, I don't know, like if you're playing an RPG, maybe you want to get to the end of the story, maybe you want to get to like level 100 or whatever the max level is, defeat the bosses, maybe you want to collect all the items. I don't know if you're playing Animal Crossing or something, you want to like pay off your fucking house um you know there, there's lots of things you're playing a, a shooter you're motivated right to you know kill the enemies get a high score play you know defeat people online whatever the game is it's got in its fundamental structure um let's say a thing for the player who coming to the game is assumedly already interested in achieving that right like you, you kind of you'll buy the game or, or play the game that has the thing that you want there's offering you something you want and you kind of bring that to the character um and therefore you are automatically invested there's automatically something at stake right there's a reason to grind to level up to get to the new area because you already want to get there you already want to see what's there and to overcome it uh whereas I... if we were uh did you want to say something no nope, sorry go ahead uh, so whereas if we're writing fiction, uh, what would go there is essentially the singular, not necessarily singular, I shouldn't say that, uh, the motivations and the values of the character central to the plot or characters central to the plot. So uh, whereas the reader brings the, the motivation, I want to get over here. Uh, if I'm writing a novel, I have to, let's say, do two things to fill that void. Um, Firstly, I need to 
have a character who cares about getting, let's say, over there to the to the next area, right? Uh, for some reason, that reason needs to be convincing to the reader, and that gets to my second thing that I need to do, other than give, a, you know, the let's say the protagonist a certain motivation, is I have to make the reader care about the protagonist's motivation. Typically, this is through making a somewhat sympathetic or just very intriguing, interesting character. You can do this through plot more than you can character as well like a murder mystery it's really uh a murder mystery actually is kind of more like a game than it is um like a typically you know typical character driven novel in that the reader is participating trying to figure it out uh as the narrative progresses and that's kind of interesting because i didn't really think about that but that would be the void that gets filled um by let's say that the player being a player interacting with the medium. And so your considerations for game design in terms of content are going to change a little bit because you need to prioritize, uh, let's say, things in the game itself that are, uh, let's say, desired not just by the characters, though they should still be desirable for the characters, but also for the people you intend uh, to pitch the game to. Does that sound all uh, about right? To some degree, I would I would say that games, uh, the hook for games and the hook for a, a story are more similar than different. Um, it's just the what rather than the how. So when you when you want to try and hook uh, a reader, you need to have something impactful in the beginning, and it could be an emotion, it could be a uh, an idea, it could be just plain old action. Um, you know, you need to have a solid hook in order to, to sell the reader. Like, we have a story. This is worth reading, and you need it within you know however many words or pages. I know it does vary a little bit, and it's also something I'm working on. So, I don't think I can speak authoritative, uh, authoritatively on that. But I think the hook for uh, for a game is very similar, and I think it ties into exactly what you're speaking to about motivation so there's kind of the two facets to both a book and a uh, game and that's the marketing when you when you're going into a game or a book you don't know what's on the inside that's not so much that's not so true today i mean you could just there's read inside and things of that nature but for the most part you don't know what's really going to be entailed you're going to have to get sold on it so you have the blurbs and you have the cover art and maybe a few intro pages of the beginning to get you hooked uh, you know, let's just say you nail that part. Um, fantastic. Uh, let me re-roll that. I did that wrong. <laughs> um, you might not nail the hook because you have a, but you have a great marketing, which means they've they've at least paid the the entry fee to to consume the uh, the art. Um, and I'm I'm noticing kind of a pattern between between let's just say genre fiction and games today, where there's a lot of context setting. There's not a lot of hook. Um, so in a game, at least modern games today, is one of the many gripes I have about games, is that it doesn't start you in the middle of the action. If you pick up Doom from 1993 and press start and pick your difficulty, you're dropped in the middle of the game. There's nothing else to it. There was the demo screen in the beginning of the game, which kind of got you hyped about what might actually happen. 
during the uh, gameplay, but that's not happening to you. You're just watching a, a demo screen go on. So you press three buttons and you're in the game. You start moving around and figuring out your world. Um, that's it. Everything else is up to you to figure out what's going on um, and piece together like why things are happening. Um, Doom 20... I'm sorry, the second Doom, Doom Eternal, starts out with a cutscene. You press start, you select your difficulty, you're thrown into a 30-second, maybe 45-second cutscene. It's a, it's a good cutscene. It's a decent hook. It's, uh, you know, the music is great. It's a... Uh, you know, it, it's, it does get you hyped, but if that cutscene falls flat, let's just put it in theoretical terms like any... If you decide to go with a cutscene and it falls flat for whatever reason, um, you've lost uh, your hook, in my opinion. The gameplay might be great, but you've just kind of soured your the rest of the experience by having kind of a mid or even bad um, uncontrollable event. Um, which I've kind of noticed that people start or have been skipping story lately in games. Like I watch a lot of popular streamers uh, play games, and they're just like, whatever, story, cool, great, ba 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 ba. Which is strange because a lot of games sell themselves on their own stories. So there's something amiss there. But I'll go back to the other side of the coin, which is writing. And I've noticed that there's a lot of context setting in the writing as well, where like um, it starts big to small. Like we we start with this big, you know, world building dialogue, monologue, what have you. Um, and we're kind of we're not really in any sort of reality. We just are trying to build this world from the ground up rather than um, using common experience to to develop it. Um, it's one of the reasons like I couldn't get into Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time starts out with this decent prologue. I mean, it's, it's kind of this image of madness. But after that, like it's it's kind of like this farm boy out in the middle of nowhere. And like what's going on? <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it didn't really work for me. Okay, and that's so Wheel of Time's pretty old, so I'll just put it. I'll put it. Wheel of Time's pretty old, but I've noticed it in modern uh, fiction because they it kind of inherits from that in modern fantasy. Sorry. No, you're fine. Uh, let me process all that because there's 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 quite a lot to touch on. Uh, what's at the most forefront of my mind? Uh, there are two game um, series franchises, whatever you want to call them, um, that m- meet with what you've just described so i'll start with uh the elder scrolls so i got introduced with morrowind um when i was i think in middle school uh when i started playing that um and in morrowind there's not it reminds me of your description of dune there's not really a tutorial uh i mean kind of there's like a couple text boxes if you choose to pick up like the the dagger or the lock pick and they kind of make you take a ring out of a barrel but like you can get through that text box in like two seconds and you walk out in the world and you're just here you are go do something like um whereas if i think of the as let's say the games developed the tutorials got longer and longer i think skyrim is notorious for having this just awful long very cinematic 
very boring and kind of dry um, cutscene before you even get up to your freaking character creation, which takes forever. Um, so I've definitely with games I've seen, let's say, it's kind of interesting, the reverse of what you just described with um, some stories, though there, there's trends that I want to talk about there, but where with games, there's this slower, uh, there's a slower start where the, they are relying on essentially cinematic, like you mentioned, world building elements um, and setting more than getting you very, very quickly with uh, the game equivalent of like a, I don't want to call it like a narrative hook, but it kind of is the same thing. Like here's like, here's the things that, that you're invested in, right? With the game, it's going to be yeah, tied up with the gameplay usually. Um, the other franchise I wanted to mention uh, that follows not necessarily the same exact pattern, um, but I'm a very, very big fan of the Dark Souls series. I unfortunately did not start with Demon Souls. Uh, I never really owned uh, a PlayStation after the PlayStation 2, uh, so I didn't play Demon Souls. Um, but I was very invested into, let's say, the, the lore and the story of the first game and not as much in the subsequent titles is that the same problem that i saw with the elder scrolls no uh i didn't find that they overloaded you with extra long tutorial and narrative in those games um but i did feel that the storytelling through the gameplay got weaker and not stronger over time um for whatever reason um and then jumping into the you know crossing course into fiction so yeah with older fiction you have the the long um exposition sometimes you'll have like the big prologue that kind of uh sets the scene but then you are bereft um you're oftentimes bereft of something that is uh let's say emotionally narratively engaging until you you build back into the story uh though i will i will say with contemporary fiction and i hesitate to use the term genre fiction though i, I will for the sake of the listeners here um, i i do notice a, a trend because of modern publication to uh, essentially scrap as much world building as possible in the beginning of uh, a book even a fantasy novel where that's notorious and to try to implement a kind of high stakes or high investment uh hook right away to the point where i know my own novel um which intersperses uh world building with the introduction of the two protagonists in the first chapter uh i've had many people comment that it's world building heavy uh which perhaps perhaps it is compared to, to modern standards i don't know um but where to to go uh, from there do you have anything you want to say in response to my little ramble there or do we want to move on uh the the more i kind of consume modern media the more i see the value of in media's race um sometimes it the best value you can bring to uh, the person who's consuming your art is to get to the point as fast as possible um i think that there is a weird obsession at least in the mainstream with having for lack of a better term a cinematic universe for everything 
Um, I'm kind of afraid when I go to buy my next lawnmower, there's going to be a cinematic universe for that I have to get invested in. So, um, like there, uh, I, I understand why there's, there's, there's ultimately value in having a large sequence of things that might interest a large group of people. And, the, you know, there's, there's, I think the Marvel, the old Marvel, um, formula worked out. It was just a point. It was a moment in time when everything was so big, and there was all of this speculation. People were so hyped about it um, that having something that large is was very lucrative. But now that everybody owns a franchise very similar, uh, it, it's kind of like you know fast food restaurants. Everybody can make a burger and fries. What makes your burger and fries, or my burger and fries, or anybody's burger and fries uh, special? So I think, at least in in term in terms, there's value in just individual sequence, um, a series that isn't like ever branching and ever turning and twisting and interspersed and interrelated. Um, you know, old convention, however many you know, however long of a compendium is probably going to be more valuable than having. 30 series with three books that all have intertwines and interconnects and interspersing. Um, and I think that's kind of where I'm going with my stories is that I'm probably going to end up retelling the same story through different mediums, be it video games or um, uh, novels or short stories. But ultimately, um, I think I think where the trends are going, it's more it's most valuable to have something that is very concrete like there's no like where do i start like you start at number one you end at number n uh and it doesn't matter what the medium is yes that's a drawback to more of a um kind of concise linear storytelling mode rather than the interconnected web of a massive uh universe within a particular setting and yeah, I have seen that. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with either copying people who have been successful, but also, uh, frankly speaking, it has to do with money. Um, so if you are able to have this massive spiderweb universe, um, regardless of the media you're writing in, uh, medium, I should say, you're you're going to be able to, let's say, connect more customers, if you will. And the big hope is that it's a buy one they buy everything in your backlog and then you've got this kind of passive uh income and that's um that's something that i think is definitely a motivating factor i don't begrudge people that because most most people doing any of this are terribly poor uh at least in regard to how much they make uh on their on their writing uh so there's that. Before uh, we run out of time, um, do you have a hard out or can we keep going for a little bit? I've got all the time. All right. So I wanted to touch on, particularly uh, with game design, the differences uh, similar to how we talked about with comics. And we already talked about visual for a while. So I'll jump to auditory sound. Uh, one thing I've I've run into whenever I've written anything is the uh, frustration with really trying to communicate sound and how sound affects a reader. And I imagine with a game that 
there there's a lot more freedom and a lot more effectiveness when using either uh, music, whether that's just background music or like you know you've got like your boss battle music versus general town music versus exploring, or if it's uh, you know if you're recording character dialogue, you've got the exact tone of voice. Uh, but even if you're not recording a character dialogue, having certain sound effects uh, you know come about in your game, I imagine that must really really uh, add a dimension that is difficult to do when you're just writing something down. Uh, on a piece of paper, or even if you're doing a comic for that matter. For sure. Uh, I would say there's there's two different problems there. So there's the sound design, like a set design, but then there's also the music. Those are kind of like two different uh, avenues, so to speak, to to dictate the environment. So we'll talk about sound design first. Um, the types of sounds that are made, it both depends on the platform that uh, it's been, that the game is being made for and what limitations there are. So, for instance, if you're making just an, uh, an NES game, a Nintendo, original Nintendo game, um, the sound output is going to be far limited versus making something for a modern PC today. Um, the, the sounds that get outputted, though, I've noticed a, an interesting trend in at least the indie community. Um, I'm pretty big into 2D games still. I guess I guess it's part of my age. I, it's a nostalgia, but I'm really big into pixel art games and and smaller indie games. So um, the two that stand out most, at least when we're talking about sound design, is uh, Undertale and um, Stardew Valley. Um, now, hopefully, in the, in terms of this discussion, we can set aside fan bases for this one and just kind of talk about the quality of um, sound. So Undertale in specific uses sampling very well to convey the like the sets. So when you hear someone talk, you'll have these they're, they're what they're called chip tunes. They're very low fidelity sound effects that occur. Um, typically played like MIDI MIDI files are very small, compressed, limited files. Um, and the samples I've I've heard of are, are pretty funny. Like uh, one of the characters has actually sampled uh, McDonald's commercial that's toned down and cut down. <laughs> so um, each each player, like each character, makes a specific sound as their text is rolling, and it's really interesting that even without words being formulated from the sounds, you could still get a sense of. Um, you know what they're what they're composed of like a this there's a a really um doofy kind of skeleton character in this game and he has a very deep voice so he kind of sounds like patrick if you think about it something like that um but he doesn't there's no you know audible words you're still reading it but he, they they make this very deep uh very deep timber uh noise every time the words come out um, you know, and then there's very high pitched, uh, very high pitched noises for very high pitched characters, uh, and there there's a very specific quality to um, to even just being limited to that. You can't, you don't have any sort of voice acting, but you can still con convey voice using very carefully placed sounds. So there's, I'm trying to tie it back to novel writing because 
in my opinion, it's easier to convey the sound of a voice um, in in writing just text because you could you could just say baritone or you can say you know it has a deep timbre things of that nature. Um, and it's pretty it's pretty straightforward, very easy to to convey that. Um, what might be challenging in writing text over a, a video game is kind of the environment. So when environments make noises or maybe you have um, unorthodox or otherworldly uh, things happening, it's a lot easier, I would say, in uh, sound design to create maybe a, a decent analog, depending on what your limitations are in a video game, um, versus having to either compare or um, try and convey somehow this sound that's occurring and why it's meaningful to the character and why it's happening in general. Like, why is it meaningful to the plot? Yeah, I want to uh, want to jump in here because part of me wants to and the, the the that's not the first because there's a lot there. Uh, but on terms of it being easier in prose to convey tone of voice and sound qualities of voice, um, here's how I'm going to try and push back. You can, let's say, merely state. With, with, you know, you can pull up a. Uh, a dictionary and, and look for words or a thesaurus and look for words to try and get the word that you want. But I've actually never found any of that satisfying. The only time I've ever um, had uh, say satisfying qualities of sound described, there's two different ways. One is in the dialogue itself, where the tone of voice self-generates uh, from the way that the person talks. So that's sometimes very difficult to achieve, depending on how the dialect of the character comes across. The only other way is with very, a very clever use of a combination of figurative language while also, if you can, finding words that sound in accord with the, uh, say, connotations of the tone of voice that is also being described figuratively as it applies to dialogue. And, you know, just me, my, me having to fish that out of my brain, um, you know, that's very difficult to do. Like, I, I hardly ever do it. I hardly ever see any authors do it ever because the opportunity to do so uh, is, is, I find, not there quite a lot. But I'm familiar with the little uh, voice files from um, Undertale, and I can remember them, and I, I get the feeling immediately without any of that effort. Now, maybe I, I don't know how difficult it is to find the right, uh, you know, uh, the right tone to, to, to communicate the voice um, for a character in a game, but it would seem to me that maybe I'm, maybe I'm just peculiar. Maybe I, in particular, am not satisfied, but like most people are, I, I don't know. Um, and you can let me know uh, what you think, uh, what you think of that. Um, yeah, because I think that's that's the bigger one. The other one we could set aside. What do, what do you think of my counter argument? Do you think I've got water, or does that not hold any water to you? I agree with you at least as far as the sensation. Like for a writer, there there's that challenge, right? Um, but if we're going to break down, let's just break it down in terms of creation. Like just stepping up a little bit, like at a higher level. As a writer, there's a lot of different challenges that. Um, is faced like picking the right words, picking the right grammar structures, 
um, composing paragraphs in a meaningful way. Um, but that's all under the purview of the writer. Um, sound design is a whole different domain. So while, yes, I agree with you 100% that um, Undertale has a fantastic way of conveying the, the tone of these characters uh, and, and the voicing and all of that, um, I would say that's because the, the creator uh, himself was a skilled sound designer. Like, the, it was outside of the realm of writing in the, in the terminal sense and more into uh, audio storytelling, which is a completely different discipline, which is kind of what I meant was um, if we're just talking about, you know, solo efforts, and even actually, there's another thesis. I'm gonna I'm gonna tie this all together. This is, we're gonna kind of go on a trip here. Um, there's a thesis that a lot of indie games are are so impactful is because there's like one one man shows uh, are easier uh, to kind of convey these stories through video games. Let me, let me rephrase that. That sounded weird. One man, one man indie shows have a, a much easier time of telling these stories than than these big, big box um, enterprises, so to speak. It's kind of why it feels like a lot of these big AAA games are a little bit more muddled than, say, a really uh, tight smaller game. Um, and that's because of all of these different paradigms coming together in one uniform voice. When you have a whole bunch of people adding into this. Uh, cauldron of a story it becomes uh, a little bit muddled a little bit um say disjointed um and the point i'm trying to say with with uh easier is that you as a writer have to only care about the words you're putting on the page when we're talking about uh the reader yes it's going to definitely be challenging to put the sound of uh the character's voice in the head of someone who's reading silently without a say a narrator um versus a video game which can you know clip sound and sample and form fit that specific sound to that specific event yes to the reader a hundred or you know the consumer a hundred percent of the time undertale is probably going maybe not hundred percent ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time undertale is going to probably beat out the average um, bit of genre fiction. Um, but as a writer, when we're talking about producing it, the idea there is you only have to worry about the words on the page. You don't have to worry about where do you find the sound? What do you, what sample rate you're going to have to uh, cut it at? Uh, how long you're going to play it? When are you going to play it? At what interval you're going to play it? So that it's not too annoying or too interspersed that it's forgettable. Um, so the, it's an entirely different discipline there. Yeah. In the second case, you have to learn two skill sets, both what does the character say, but then also the entire, uh, what I'm going to call like sound engineering, which is what it sounds like to me. Uh, is, in, in, right. yeah, so you're, you have to double up there and that would be a lot more difficult to do. Um, you mentioned, uh, there's two different qualities. So like there, um, was, I can't remember the terms you used, uh, the two different um sound design uh, and music yes there we go because in the music bit i want to uh 
what that made me think of is actually a lack of music. So you mentioned Undertale. And to this day, um, you know, when you, you kill all the uh, the enemies in an area, then suddenly I'm pretty sure if I remember it right, because I can still feel the feeling I felt. Uh, it's redundant, but whatever. Uh, the music, I think, just cuts, and a lot of the audio just cuts. And there's this eerie silence that feels wrong, like uh, like reminding you, you're a fucking murderer for killing all the enemies in the area. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh I'll I'll put that out there as a starting point, but when you mentioned like the the music uh and how it can affect the mood, like that's what comes to mind. For sure. Um so uh, like that's the other side of that same sound coin. Um that's again another discipline. So I guess we're really talking about complexity of the mediums now. So like the music 100% if if there were soundtracks to books it would probably be, you know, double so more engaging. Um, and that's the challenge is that as a, as a writer, you, there's a lot of media today, you know, like look at any 10 second clip of a YouTube short or a TikTok or what have you, uh, Twitter video, you know, it's, it's moving imagery, it's sound, it's music, um, and it's quickly and easily available. And that's the attention competition that that's kind of being propositioned between you know reading and any other uh, i'll call it artistic medium for the sake of discussion whether a TikTok video is art or not is up to up for debate i would i would say um but the point there is when it comes down to to music a hundred percent like uh, again, so you know, Toby Fox is who made he made uh, Undertale pretty well solo, uh, minus some I think art. Um, but that is that's both he both had to con compose that music, which is in in and of itself one skill. So ignoring entirely the fact that um, you know there's a video game behind it, just composing a piece of music is just one discipline. There's another part where you don't know how long your music is going to play, be played. Um, some can be set to just you know play throughout, and that's the scene. Like it's a cutscene, so you can design music to play to that cutscene. Or you might be making music set to uh, an exploration. So you, there's a player that's going around this in you know uh, arbitrary area, and they have to have music being played based on this tone and this idea maybe this theme uh, for how long they'll be there. Who knows? Maybe they'll get stuck there for 30 minutes. Maybe they'll blow through it in seven. So it's got to be a coherent uh, thesis as far as composition is concerned. Um, the other issue is that it's got to be easily crossfaded. If you move from one area to the next, is it jarring when the music stops and then another mu piece of music starts playing? No, there's usually a crossfade um, or there's a, there's a, like a dimming that occurs before the next one plays like it finishes playing that's part of sound design but again that's a whole we're talking about basically what one two three different disciplines on top of writing that we have to consider when we're you know when we include uh, the sound engineering as part of a video game storytelling yeah and i could i could buy or argue that that alone just the fact that you've got all these skills that are 
you know, they're really whole art forms, I would argue, in and of themselves. Um, for one person to be able to do all of it is actually, it's, again, it's like the Renaissance man. That's why I called you that from the beginning, because when you said you're doing the sound and the art and the writing and the programming, right? So once you've got all of those, uh, it, it's almost like, you know, someone coming to you and they're a polyglot, right? Like speak like seven languages and just sit there and think, how the hell are you doing this, man? Uh, <laughs> Poorly. Though I wish, uh, do you think in, in, in your experience going across mediums, do you think that there is a, a way that I kind of asked this question with comics and the, the question, the answer with that was kind of not really, but um, a way to cross apply skills. And the reason I ask is because, you know, when I wrote my first novel, I had a character that was basically Satan and I wanted him to like have the voice of Ron Perlman. Uh, but I, <laughs> I, I, for the life of me could not figure out how to, like I wanted the, the the reader to feel that voice, right? And I could not, I tried really, I tried for days and days and days just, you know, fucking around with this tiny bit of dialogue. I don't think I could ever do it. Um, or, you know, I, I, I've also wanted to do something like, uh, I'll call back to Dark Souls when you go and, uh, you know, the, criticize the boss fight to hell and back, if, if you will. But when you go to fight uh, Gwyn, Lord of Cinder, and you have this soft, tragic piano piece playing in contrast to what should be this final and, you know, long-awaited moment against the, the final boss, um, you know, something where you have that that contrast between the tone of what's going on and the difficulty with which your your character is faced and the action that's happening. I found I can't, I've never quite been able to capture all of that um, in writing in a way that you can once you introduce, let's say in this case, uh, music. Um, have, you, have you been able to 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 take any of those skills from adding those elements into games into your writing or is it is this just like a thing that games have this advantage and written works do not well it definitely is a challenge because we're we're talking about kind of dimensionality to the art so when we're looking at books like historically they are you know they're sequential and linear and they have only one output which is the the words on the page. So they're a fairly straightforward medium to output, as you mentioned before. Um, when we start adding all of these different outputs to the consumer, um, there's a, there's the potential for depth. Um, and I, I'm sure there's been more examples of failures than successes in there. But for every, I, I would say, for every dimension of complexity that's added, it becomes um, that much more exponentially like easier to fail. So, how do we convey specific uh, additional emotions? Like, how how do we take a one-dimensional item and make it four dimensions, basically? Um, which is quite the challenge. And I think it's it's probably at least this is my solution because it's probably easier to to leverage the strengths of the medium rather than trying to chase down the experiences of others so 
the strength of you know writing uh, the strength of a book is to convey knowledge and it's sort of in ways that a video game can't so you can definitely write a program that will output text on the screen that's what a kindle is it's a little tiny computer that you hold in your hand and it displays text um but on the flip side to make a video game that would have as much content as a novel would be infinitesimally more challenging there's other ways you can tell the story of course which will condense down the development time which will condense down the amount of time that you know the player has to uh, spend in order to to get to completion but to i don't think i'm not quite sure that experiencing a symphony can ever be the same as reading a book and that's what we're that's kind of what we're talking about there's a symphony right you you go to the you go to the orchestra and listen to a, a fantastic musical piece it will you know psychologically and neurologically speaking it will hit different parts of your brain than reading a fantastic book they're just two different dimensions of experience um how do we square the circle for that i don't know if it's even possible to um because when you read a book sometimes like you'll feel emotions and you'll understand situations the whole point of books in the beginning wasn't really fiction like fictions uh all right you can roll me for this i'm going to make this stipulation fiction is a relatively new concept um you know we do have instances of it occurring in the uh in the greek late greek uh, uh period but it was in, as far as our examples of it, it's immensely rare you know you can uh maybe shakespeare is the first instance of like i don't know uh fantasy for instance um but for the most part books and paper were fairly rare so they were meant to convey knowledge and critical ideas and uh, things that push forward you know human society like like you know merchant ledgers and things of that nature if you can afford it you can maybe make a piece of fiction or maybe you could consider a lot of travel logs that were written back in the day fiction who knows um so playing to that strength of can of of you can't engage the readers all, all of their senses like you're you're you can give them a little bit of imagination as far as you know something what something smells if it smells putrid or rotting body i'm i'm pretty sure um you know you've at least smelled a rotten piece of meat once in your life that's pretty um universal almost um you know if you smell the kind flower clearly you can you know you can play on, on things of that nature uh novels rely on relatability for the most part and as far as i understand like a reader has to have experienced it in order for it to to land um and i don't know how to square that circle like video games you can produce a sound you can produce an image that will give someone a relative idea of what you're trying to do if a demon has horns you could draw a really gnarly looking demon and put horns on it and it's like this is a demon with horns and it's like oh okay you could describe a demon with horns but you'll you know you'll have to have seen or understood or seen a picture of something with horns 
if that makes any sense. It does, and it kind of leads us to the conclusion that really different mediums do, in fact, have their strengths and weaknesses, and you kind of have to, or don't have to, uh, but it's ideal to play into those strengths. Uh, and obviously, you, you do what you can for the weaknesses, but um, it would it's better off because of that exponential failure problem, um, particularly as you get into something as complex as a game, to not try and be, let's say, perfect or even great in all dimensions of, uh, let's say, user experience. Um, one thing uh, I, you said, uh, it was kind of offhand, so you know, maybe we'll walk it back, but you said that one of the greatest strengths for written fiction was knowledge, and that was in reference to the fact that when you're you know, dealing with a game, you have to program each individual thing, and it's a lot more expensive and time-consuming, and there's a lot of higher skill requirements for each component, whereas you only really need one particular skill set as an author. You put the words there. And then the words are there, right? A lot, uh, a lot lower barrier to entry. Uh, I would actually argue that the biggest strength with uh, written fiction um, comes with interiority. What I mean by that is the internal experience and, and feelings of the characters. I've noticed that you can only get uh, either spoken or superficial details through other mediums, or you can use music as a proxy. Uh, and there's an argument to be made that music and sound can, uh, let's say, overcome anything described, let's say, in fiction. Uh, and if I was uh, Nietzsche when he was young and part of Richard Wagner's music cult, I might make that argument. Uh, but <laughs> I'm, I'm going to press now that Really, when it comes to, to fiction, it's that the feeling of the character, the the internal thoughts uh, as best as they could be described. Um, I think that perhaps might be the fiction's greatest strength. And I want to draw a comparison to uh, to a, a game uh, that I've mentioned before, um, Dark Souls, because um, I want to to highlight the the only time I can really think of where this interiority was covered in a way that I don't think I've seen replicable in uh, in fiction, and it comes with the gameplay. So there's a, a narrative component uh, in the Dark Souls franchise, for those of you who don't know, where your character is undead and um, they're always you know, there's always a risk that they'll go insane when they lose their humanity, which is called going hollow. Uh, now, just talking about the context of the first game, what happens is that the character, when they go hollow, they give in to despair, right? It's, uh, it's that's the narrative explanation. And then they lose who they were, giving in to despair, become a hollow husk of themselves, uh, essentially reduced to a wild animal. Okay, so... How does that relate to interiority? Well, if you pay attention, you, you know, you you resurrect at a bonfire every time you die in that game. I would argue that there is a point where you don't resurrect at the bonfire in Dark Souls. And that's when you get so frustrated and angry that you rage quit and you walk away. And when you recognize, let's say, oh, I just died for real 
I like my emotions got too much and I gave into despair and I gave up and now I'm dead. Like that's what it means to to fall down and to not be able to proceed. And when I realized that there there's something, you know, touched me deep down where I thought that was that was fucking impressive to never tell anyone that is part of the game mechanics, but to have it be present there and for the player to realize Um and now, why did I just go on that long spiel? I'm curious if you have any other examples, because you, you likely have more than I do, where the the player interiority that would normally be described secondhand through a fiction, which is, I would argue, fiction's strength, can be imparted directly into the player as a... You can almost argue that that is deeper than what fiction does. Um that's arguable. I don't know. Do you have any examples where something like that happens or the game mechanics uh, essentially create interiority for the player in such a way that fiction can communicate feelings, deep emotions? I think uh, in a similar way, uh, Nier Automata does something similar. So Nier Automata is like a post-apocalyptic uh, story about uh, androids that dis- descend from space and, and are trying to um, it depends on which story you're going through, but effectively either investigate or um, save humanity. And, but there is a there is a specific point. So it's I don't think it's as complex as Dark Souls. Dark Souls has a lot of layers to it, but um, I think why uh, Nier Automata was so uh, at least a cult, so much of a cult classic was because at the very end. So you, you don't have to beat Nier Automata once. You have to beat it three times on three different characters. Uh, and that's that's what you have to... Uh, you have to do this in order to get to the complete ending of the game. Like, that's the fu- the finale. Um, and there's a moment in time where you have two options, right? And you're at the very end of your journey. You can pick two roads. On one road... You can call for help. And if you call for help, you get to the end. Or you can sacrifice yourself to help someone else, and it deletes your save. You have to start all over again. So there's it ties into the narrative where um, kind of selfishness and greed had destroyed a lot of the world. Um, and it, it plays on kind of these the characters that you end up with at the end of the at the end of the third run. Uh, it plays into that where you can be greedy and selfish and take the ending, or you can be selfless and help someone else get to the end. And it 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 ties into the characters very well. That's interesting. But, so. Let me get make sure I understand right though if you if you sacrifice yourself, it deletes your save um now my my question is does that does that communicate what they were hoping it would right like to um because it because it seems like they've uh, does does that is still helping someone else as uh a virtue or does that make the because because the question narratively speaking is what does that do uh let's say 
I guess you could say it tests the player. Like, are you virtuous enough to lose to lose your your save file, um, or are you going to take the easy way out? Well, effectively, like throughout throughout this long journey, again, you have to beat the game three times in effect to get to this point. Um, throughout all of these stories, the theme is is relatively similar. There's a lot of sacrifice made on part of the character and by proxy the the player. Um, you know, there are certain characters that die. I'm not going to spoil anything. There are certain characters that die. Certain characters that um, survive. Uh, certain parts of the story that uh, kind of reveal. I'll put it no other way because of the the seven deadly sins. There's they touch upon a lot of them. There was a lot of sinful, um, unvirtuous, if if you prefer that word, um, underpinnings that caused the world to get into this uh, pretty much destroyed state. So then, the question is like it's a test of character. You've been through all of this. You've been through each of these stories. You know everything that happens up to this point. Do you want your payout and what you perceive as the just dessert, or will you be someone who makes a change for the better? Is effectively what that proposition is. Nice. Well, I'm happy that um, there are other games out there that are, let's say, you know, putting that inter- interiority deep into the mechanics, giving the player some reason for self-reflection all right matt we've been going for about a little over an hour and a half probably an hour 40 minutes now uh something close to that so we've got to wrap things up is there anything else that you wanted to say before we go to the outro for sure and just before we wrap up i just wanted to touch on one last thing that you were speaking to about writing um, and I think that the there is a multi multifaceted discipline to writing. And hopefully, I don't, I didn't seem like I'm throwing writing under the bus. Uh, quite the opposite. But as a final touch point, I I want to kind of note the kind of special superpower of the writer is to be a, a seasoned and in the world. Um, so I'll, I'll just compare and contrast. In my opinion, today. We're kind of we're kind of noticing a, a lull in let's just say genre fiction, um, where things aren't very engaging. But if we look back, some of the greatest works that that for the most part, you know, the community reveres in fantasy and science fiction, we'll say, have been um, C.S. Lewis and uh, Tolkien, and those are they're both veterans of World War One. So I want to throw it out there that the the toolbox for the writer is to is to have experienced the world for better or for worse, and hopefully I can I can end on that note where I didn't rail on writers or anything like that because that was not my intent at all. I don't think that anyone thought that that conversation, uh, or rather that uh, let's say mentioning of the experience of the author. I think that's going to tie into. Uh, conversation I'm going to have. Uh, I've already got him lined up uh, with Nathaniel Cumberlidge again because he'll be featuring this week uh, on our novels, our novel, novels, novel, where we talk about the inspirations for for works and originality. And I think that topic is going to come up. So, uh, if you matter, if any of those listeners are interested in that, or that's going to 
you know, be a good follow-up. Um, and also, I don't think we railed on writers too much. I, I, I do think that, like we've said, it's this particular skill set. Um, and, you know, you you develop yourself as a person and then you make yourself uh, excellent in your singular art and other arts are more multivarious and you have to juggle many, many things. And uh, they're all equally worthwhile pursuits. All right, everybody, um, before we go, I'll take a moment to shill again. If you want to take part of this podcast, contact me or contact someone who knows me, who you know, who would be willing to vouch for you, and I'd love to get you on. Also, you can recommend topics. I don't know if I mentioned that at the beginning. I should have. Um, so if you've got a topic that you want to hear discussed, you can leave a comment on it. I'll post this up on YouTube, or uh, you can submit it to me directly. Uh, an easy way to do that is to go to my website, wildislelit.com com and go to the contact page uh, while you're there check out my editing service the wild isle style guide if you've got a manuscript you want to get in tip-top shape also you can check out my novel wand smoke broken the weird fantasy western-esque literary type of weird thing that i've got out there uh first chapter is available for free i even did a little audio recording forever ago so the quality is probably terrible I apologize, but it's worthwhile checking out. Let me know what you think. Uh, and Matt, go ahead and throw out where people can get a hold of you or uh, keep up with your work. Yeah, I post uh, my comings and goings on Twitter, at ForgottenADV. All right. Thank you, Matt, uh, for joining us. I really enjoyed having you. If you want to participate again, you could always thank let you. me know. Yeah, you're welcome, man. And uh, I'll see you next time.